0: You can go with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 this morning. As you go there, I'll tell you about the other night. The other night, the family and I were watching a Christmas movie together called The Man Who Saved Christmas. Have you seen it? Some of you have seen it. It was about a toy maker. Let's see if I don't butcher the story too badly. Here it was about a toy maker who'd been enlisted by the government in the war effort. The time frame was World War I to make things the soldiers needed on the battlefield instead of toys. You can imagine how that went, right? Well, he went along, and in an effort to get the public to buy war bonds instead of the toys, the government also convinced the toy maker to support their idea of canceling Christmas. They figured if they cancel Christmas, they'll get people to buy more war bonds. They'll have money for war bonds instead of spending all their money on frivolous things like toys for children. And he supported their idea. He went along with it, but he felt after a while he felt terrible about it and he finally came to the opinion that to cancel Christmas was going to be detrimental to the children of of the United States and in and in the end detrimental to the nation as a whole. And so he kind of stood up to the lawmakers and in the end of the movie he finally convinced them also to to uh to to discard their plans of canceling Christmas and I mean, at the thought of no Christmas joy for children on on Christmas morning with no presents or anything, they they decided to go ahead and have Christmas, and Christmas was saved. Now you don't need to watch the movie. (laughs) Christmas, I ruined it for you. Christmas was saved. Christmas joy, right? Christmas joy. Does it seem like those two words belong together? Christmas joy. They sound like they go together, don't they? And they seem to, it seems like those two words belong together, the joy of Christmas. We often think of joy, we just sang of it, right? We're going to sing of it again. We often think of joy at Christmas, we often think of those two words together, Christmas joy, the joy of Christmas, and really to our natural way of thinking, we do tend to think of joy more at Christmas than any other time of the year, I suppose, with all the gift-giving and and decorating and celebrating and singing and Christmas music and things like that. But, but I began to wonder, wonder this week, as I was looking at Luke chapter 2, I wanted to share with you this week and next week in Luke chapter 2, and as I began to look at Luke chapter 2, I began to wonder, would you be able to celebrate Christmas, or would you be able to have the joy of Christmas, if we decided to cancel Christmas? I mean, if we decided, and I'm talking about the traditional celebration, let's say we decided to cancel the traditional celebration of Christmas. I'm not suggesting that, but, but let's say we, we did decide to, to go together. Let's say we're going to not celebrate traditionally Christmas. We're not going to decorate. We're not going to sing the Christmas songs. We're not going to give gifts at Christmas time. Would there be the possibility that you could still have Christmas joy? without the celebration of Christmas? Would you be able to rejoice at the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ without all the trimmings, without all the celebrating, without the cookies and treats? Now, that's a tough one. I don't know. I begin to think of it. You know, after all, we don't know when Jesus was actually born. The day we celebrate as Jesus' birth, we don't know that that's his day of birth. It's Tradition, right? So what if the celebration of Christmas were canceled? Is there enough reason for joy at the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for celebrating without the gift-giving, without the decorating, without the celebrating? I do believe, and I see some of you nodding your heads in agreement with me, I, I believe there's great reason for joy. And I think we find it very clearly again and again in God's Word. I believe there's great reason for joy, even greater reason for joy at Christmas time and year round as God's children than we might often think of at this time of year. Much greater reason for joy. There are many greater reasons for joy at Christmas than we might think. I think as followers of Christ, we need to be careful that we don't attach too much of our joy to the celebrating. We need to remember, and we hear people say, remember the reason for the season, right? As followers of Christ, we had better be better at that than anyone else, remembering why we celebrate. So let's go to Luke 2. We're going to look at a very familiar passage in Luke 2 this morning, and one we're so familiar with, we might tend to skim over these words at Christmas. But there are some pointers here to why we ought to be joy-filled and why we ought to have great reason for joy at at the thought of, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and today and next Sunday on Christmas morning, next Sunday, Christmas morning, we're also going to be looking together at at these first 20 verses of the second chapter of Luke's Gospel this morning. I'm going to look at the first seven verses, so follow along with me as I read. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. In the end. I want you to pray with me. Let's bow our heads together and pray as we think about these words from Luke 2. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your word word that we hold in our hands today and we're so thankful for your goodness and grace and mercy as we see here the coming of Jesus Christ being born into this world a, a man a, a babe who would live a sinless life and then and then take that difficult that difficult path to Calvary as he was crucified for our sins Father, I pray that as we think about the joy of Christmas, you would help us as followers of Christ, as those who have gathered together this morning to worship together, to realize we have the greatest reason for joy. It's not attached to the gift-giving. It's not attached to the celebrating. It's all because of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to focus on him. Help us to make him our joy, our all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For many during this period in history, in which we see here in Luke 2, for many during that period of history, it was not a time of joy. Uh, Think of it. With the Roman oppression of the Jews, there were many who felt there was absolutely no reason for joy, but that wasn't so for this young couple we find in these first few verses of Luke chapter 2. They're traveling to Bethlehem together. She was expecting a baby, and of course it's normal for a young couple to be excited at the prospect of the arrival of a a little baby, a new life, a miracle indeed. But what set this child apart, of course every parent thinks their child is special, right? I mean, we, we thought each of our children was special as they were born, and and we still love them very much because they're our children, right? But even though every parent thinks their child is very special, this child indeed had great reason for their parent to think this child is special indeed because they had a special word about this child. They'd actually received word from an angel. We find the message the angel delivered to young Mary. Go back with me to Luke chapter 1. Just turn back to Luke, maybe just one page or across the page, Luke chapter 1. And look with me at verses 26 through 33, because we find here the message they receive from the angel of the Lord who came to Mary. And in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1 it says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Indeed, a special baby. Yes, a very special child. Now, the birth of each of our children was a a stirring and miraculous occasion for us. As I think back to the birth of each of our children, and I had the privilege of... Of cutting the umbilical cord. That was my that was what I did. I also was the one who received the strong grip on my right hand from my wife as she endured the contractions and my looking at the monitors saying, Do you feel that? there's here comes one. Here oh it looks really big. Because the monitors will tell you stuff that she can't feel yet, and she's like, Shut up. I don't think she said that. I don't think she said that. But she did grip and squeeze me. I had the privilege of watching and, and cutting the umbilical cord. And that to me was a moving and miraculous occasion. But think of this. Think of what we see here in Luke. Jesus Christ, the Savior, the incarnate Son of God, this was a miracle in the truest sense of the word. This child, he would be great indeed. Verse 7 of our text in chapters 2 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Now that seems like a strange environment to put a newborn baby, to birth a baby and to, to lay him, Right? But even as unusual as was this cattle stall and this as a birthplace, a cattle stall. Think of it. I mean the smell. Anybody ever work in a, in, a, in stalls of any kind where animals are kept? Along with me, I, I for one day I think or two days I cleaned out horse stalls uh, where my brother-in-law worked, and I was a teenager, and I went and helped him for a couple of days, and that was all I needed to know. That was not my life's ambition, right? None of our lives have been to work with cleaning out stalls. This is a think, think, Jesus, God incarnate, God in human flesh, come and born in a cattle stall and laid in a manger. A miraculous birth, though, we get another glimpse of just how special this child would be when we see the announcement of the angel of the Lord to Joseph in a dream. Back in Matthew chapter 1, you can listen as I read. There we find this in verse 18, Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Think of it, how special was the birth of this child? Exceedingly special. I don't have good words to describe how special it was. All I could come up with was exceedingly special. But here's a special child, and this birth of this child is very special, and here's a great reason for joy at the birth of Christ. I'm going to give you three reasons this morning. I'm, I am I could go on and on, I'm sure. And next Sunday I'll have another opportunity to go on with more reasons, but three this morning. Here's... Here's great reason for joy, Christmas joy, true Christmas joy. He will save his people from their sins. Amen? Here's real Christmas joy. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, came to save his people from their sins Of Jesus Christ, Titus 2.14 says, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is true Christmas joy. Think of it, a sinful people. He came to save, and he came to save them by his sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own life, his death for us. Jesus really came. This is not some make-believe fairy tale kind of story that that people conjured up and we kind of go along with. This is real. Jesus really came and was born in human flesh and lived and died. He came to save his people. From their sins. This is true Christmas joy. God in human flesh. He came to save sinners. Just as we hear in Acts 13 and in verse 23 that God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. And then in verses 38 and 39 of Acts 13, it says of Christ that though this man, uh, that, I'm sorry, that through this man, forgiveness of sins through Christ. I hope you realize you need forgiveness of sin. I hope also you realize that forgiveness of sin only comes by one route, and it's through Jesus Christ, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone, here's a great promise, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You want to know? this true Christmas joy then you need to look to Jesus alone you need to believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins and you need to be saved let me invite you today can I just pause right here for a moment if you're not a follower of Christ consider this your formal invitation to trust in Jesus Christ right now you don't have to wait until I'm done preaching A wonderful gift that we have in Jesus Christ. Repent of sin, believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ, and be saved. And then live for Christ. Do you hear me, believer? Once we're saved, we're not done. The work has just begun. Now live for Christ. Now live for His glory, that He might be highly exalted by our obedience as Ungodly people see an ungodly person like us with a life that's changing because God is working in us, because he has given us his righteousness. Jesus Christ brings what only he can bring. He brings what you and I can never accomplish by a million good deeds. He brings eternal life. He brings salvation from sin. He brings complete and total and once for all forgiveness when you trust in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's real Christmas joy. Here, too, is real Christmas joy. Each of our days is in God's hands. You realize that? Each of our days is in God's hands. Think of the turmoil of the days in which Jesus was born I mean, think of the Roman emperor Augustus decreeing, I'm going to tax the world. (laughs) Let's count everybody so we know who to tax and how much. You can see it pointed to here in Luke chapter 2. Are you in Luke 2? Look at verses 1 through 5 again. Where in Luke chapter 2 it says, in the first five verses, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be, ta- be, be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. This is important to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, Jesus Christ the Savior. Joseph, in the lineage of David. Listen, each of our days is in God's hands. God is in control. No matter what Caesar Augustus does, God's going to have his way. In fact, God will use Caesar Augustus to accomplish part of his plan. The Roman emperor Augustus decrees he's taxing the world. And for the world to be properly taxed, people have got to be counted, right? And where are the Jews in all of this? Well, they've lost an independent government of their own, and they fall under the control and taxation of the Roman government. And one might think, if you're a Jew, all is lost. We don't have a government of our own. We're under Roman oppression, Roman rule. One might think all is lost, but no, God is still in control. I see it. You see it? God is still in control. The counting for taxation meant that by Jewish custom, all Jews had to be counted. And according to their ancestral uh, upbringing, they had to go back to their hometowns. That was according to Jewish tradition. That's not the way the Romans did it, but evidently the Romans said, okay, um, do it your way, but either way, we're going to count you. So go back to your ancestral hometowns. And so where were Mary and Joseph? They were traveling in such great distance to Bethlehem at such a difficult time in Mary's pregnancy. And this might seem like an inconvenience, but even this was according to God's plan. Even this, according to God's will, because the time had come for the Savior to be born. When the time was right, God sent his son. The time was now. And just as prophesied, he must be born where? in the city of David, yes, in a little town called Bethlehem, and all of this in fulfillment of the decree of the Lord, not Caesar Augustus. Just as foretold by the prophet Micah, Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Here's the lesson. Here's what we have to learn and be challenged with and encouraged by and praise filled over and finding true Christmas joy for. God is in control each of your days is in God's hand. Does it seem like the world is out of control to you? I try not to watch too much television news or listen to too much news, but sometimes I sit down and watch the news and sometimes I'm like, my word, what? What's going on? And what's with people? And sometimes I find myself changing the channel when they're talking about some of the cruel and inhumane things human beings do to one another. This is a cruel world in which we live, yes, and I don't know how we can't be moved by it. And sometimes we might look on at the world and say, what God is going on? How can people do these kinds of things to one another? We look at what's going on around the world and we think, how can, how can people treat people this way? Listen, we live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-sick world, yes, and there is a ruler of darkness who would seek to destroy followers of Christ, but God is greater. God is greater. Each of your days is in God's hands, and we can see it in a text today that God's in control. No matter what Caesar Augustus says or does, God will use him to fulfill his purposes. Does it seem like ungodly leaders do whatever they wish? Don't lose heart. Does it seem like ungodly people get away with doing ungodly things? Don't lose heart. Don't worry. It's not ours to fret and stew because God is not fretting and stewing. He's not worried. He's in control. Don't worry. The Roman emperor had no clue that God was using him to fulfill his purposes. I love it. Don't you? I mean, to, to be able to stand back and see the big picture and say, here's this you know emperor, he's going to tax the world, he's going to get money from everybody and and build great and mighty things to elevate his own name in the world's eyes. But God says, go ahead and do what you want to do. I'll use that too for my purposes, for my glory. Don't ever forget, God is in control. Just as we hear in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. You ought to pray that passage this week. During our eight days of prayer, that's a passage you ought to pray. God, take the president's heart and turn it whichever way you want. Make him do whatever you want to bring great glory to your name. God, take our governor's heart and make him do what that which brings you glory. And, and, and though he may not even realize it, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it, God turns it wherever he wishes. God is in control. I need to hear that. Don't you? I need to be reminded of that. There are times when I say, well, how can this be happening, right? How can this be But I need this reminder as well as you do from God's word. And just as we see the events unfold in Luke chapter 2, wait a minute, Caesar's not in control. God's in control. Augustus doesn't know what's going on. God knows what's going on. And yet there's another reason for Christmas joy. Think of the way in which Christ was born. Think of the humble circumstances. We've already touched on it a bit. We see it here in verse 7. Again, in Luke chapter 2, it says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them. No place for them in the end. Think of the lowly birth of Christ. I say that's a reason for great Christmas joy. You may not understand that. How is it that the lowly birth of Jesus is a reason for Christmas joy? Didn't, didn't we just say God was in control? I mean, couldn't have God arranged something a little more posh than a, than a stable, right? Oh, yes, he could have. But we ought to rejoice that he did not. He chose not to. And here's great reason for Christmas joy. Jesus Christ was born as a servant and died as a servant. He was born as a servant, lived his life as a servant, and went to the Calvary, the cross, and was crucified as a servant. says Philippians 2 of Christ, He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In other words, he lowered himself to our role, to our place in life. He lowered himself and put on human flesh. Think of God putting on... Flesh like a horse. And how is this reason for Christmas joy? Because verse 8 says in Philippians 2, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to God. To the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about it. I hope, I hope, that as you think about what Jesus Christ did for you, you have great reason for joy. If we were to cancel all the celebrating and all the things attached to Christmas, you'd be able to go on without it all because you'd say, I've got Jesus Christ as my Savior, who humbled himself, who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, for my sake, me? See, the birth of Christ should be all the reason you need for Christmas joy. That's true. I believe it. The birth of Christ ought to be all the joy you need, all the Christmas joy you need. But that's not all we have. We have even greater reason for Christmas joy, a reason we don't often associate with the birth of Christ, but we we must stop and say He was born so that He could die so that he could be sacrificed for our sins. Jesus Christ, and we rejoice in this, wasn't above suffering and dying for your sins. So in all you're celebrating at Christmas, we of all people ought not forget the real reason for the joy, the real reason for Christmas joy, and we'll see more. Next Sunday, Lord willing, Christmas Day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you. And, and God, I pray that it's truly the desire of our hearts, the deepest, most serious intent of our hearts, to bring great glory and honor and praise. To your name, to the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that by the power of your word and the work of your spirit, you would embolden us to live lives of obedience, lives that are changed toward the likeness of Christ because we are yielding to your word and work in us as your children. God help us as we celebrate this Christmas season. We, we celebrate with the world, but we celebrate for a, a much higher purpose and a much greater reason because Jesus Christ, we know. If we're a child of God, we know Jesus Christ died for me, died for us. He came and was born as a babe and lived that sinless life, taking on human flesh. That He'd be the only one who could fully pay for our sins. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to be your people who are truly filled and overflowing with real joy, based in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Hey God, I pray, help us to make the gospel clear to unbelievers with our lives, with our lips, with our service, the way we serve them and glorify you as we minister to one another in the church and we honor you by our obedience. God, I pray, help us to show, show the love of Christ to one another. Oh, God, I pray that you would break our hearts if we, if we can't get along. God, help us to love one another just as you loved us and then let us share, share that love of the world as we go out of this place and demonstrate the love of Christ to a watching world. Oh, God, that you would be honored and glorified, that people would see your son and believe, and they too would have a real reason for joy at Christmas and the 364 other days of the year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.